Hey, this is Bob in the Don't Die Podcast, brought to you by Ohana Fest down in Dana Point, and brought to you by Live Nation, bringing you concerts all over the world. It all begins with getting off drugs, people. Let's go out and live life. Get sober, get the right treatment for you, and stop dying. Stop dying, Chuck. That's the theme of the show, and sometimes we forget it because we're not really literally in your face enough about it. We don't want people to die of drug overdoses. Why, I think, why don't we set a timer and say it like every seven minutes? Yeah, well, that's about how often somebody dies in America from a drug overdose. Chuck, yeah. that's very coincidental that you said that. So let me tell you this, Chuck. People keep forgetting, including you and me, that in the time we do this podcast, four people will die of drug overdoses. God damn. That's insane. It's only every 15 minutes? No, it's less than that, but I'm rounding up. <laughs> <laughs> Optimistic. <laughs> we hope this next year will only be every 15 minutes. Yeah, yeah. we're hoping that's our goal, that a drug addict die only every 15 minutes while we pay attention to people that die every 11 minutes or every 8 minutes. The, the, the drug addict overdose rate, a blip on the radar screen, my friend, compared to all the fear of the sky is falling propaganda but that is a fact we are losing kids so much so that chuck i talked to mike earlier today i want to know and this is we're going to talk our private life in public so Ooh. i i have given my crown as greatest drug counselor to you and you've been doing it now for eight years since you worked for chapman and now wavelengths right that's like eight years. Is that like eight years? No, it's it's been Phoenix House, New Beginnings, Serenity Shore. No, but Solid I mean Lens. since we've been partners. Oh, yeah, for for a while we've been. Yeah, yes. Remember that place, Tim Chapman? Yeah, I do. Place. My brother-in-law got sober there. Anyways, <laughs> I'm wondering if it's if your mood is not being affected by all this drug counseling. So, and I, I want the people at home who are drug counselors to know, I understand, we hear you, what you go through. So you go through all of this bureaucratic red tape bullshit for the insurance companies, right? Mm -hmm. You're trying to carry a message of, of, of strength and hope to your patient population. They are being dragged away by psychiatrists and big pharma, Right. Mm -hmm. They're also being dragged away by our, our cesspool sick society, right? So that you're just there doing God's work every day, trying to make a difference, trying to make an impact. And you've got all these opposing forces. That's why I can't do it anymore. I can't. I, you know what I mean? When, when, I was, when I was in my prime of being a drug counselor, I worked with two doctors who said, fuck psychiatrists. We don't need any psychiatrists around here to muck up the sobriety, right? <laughs> Dr. Drew and Dr. Blum. Psychiatrists are not allowed at our unit, Chuck. How about that? That's mm. that, that would be strange to find one of those these days. That, well, no, it'd be stranger to find a Dr. Drew or a Dr. Blum these days. Mm, yeah. <laughs> they're, like, they're like, you know, four-leaf clovers these days. But the idea is now, you know, up until about 10 years ago, everything was on the up and up, right? You had, you know, Nora Volkow was an abstinence-based, 12-step abstinence-based proponent, right? The head of, of uh, 
the drug and alcohol in America at the federal level, right? Nora okay. Volkow, her name is. Uh, oh, Volkov, yeah. Volkov, yeah. Nora, so, she's great. Nora, wow, she flipped from like some real, what really sobriety is to just surviving the disease. That's really <laughs> where we're all at. That's where there we're you know. all at. We've all right? we've all jumped that shark. We've all she, she was early on in jumping that shit. <laughs> so so it just so look at all the things that we're up against. Trying to help somebody, eye of a needle, a camel through the eye of a needle, to get completely abstinent, be free of the slavery of drugs, and make your own empowered decisions in life. That is not happening anymore. And so as a frontline person, I'm wondering if it might not be ready for time for a change for you, right? Have you thought about it? Because oh, it yeah. is really discouraging. <clears throat> it, it does. It, there's certainly times where it just feels like, what the fuck? Why, why, you know, sometimes it is overwhelming and I start thinking I need new people to come in behind me and pick up where I'm about well, they do. to leave Wait a off. They do, and then they die of drug overdoses. <laughs> no, I mean in the field. No, your your buddy that I know, your buddy that you your buddy that oh, was your Darren. counselor, Darren. Darren, yeah, yeah. I mean, it just seems it's. Have it's you really, blocked that out of your mind? <laughs> no, he he only worked. He was only he was only working at the house level. But the, you know the idea yeah, but that he wanted to be a counselor, right? A lot of people do. That's the other thing that's disarming is how many of them coming through. They don't feel like they fit in regular society anymore. They went from being drug addicts to being uh, treatment people, and they don't feel that treatment people mix with the real people in the regular world because they're. They've become custom. They're accustomed to living in this treatment culture, and they're scared to step out of it because of the way things are. They've been allowed to do it. They've been allowed to travel the country for years and years and years, and that's all they've gotten good at. But yeah, man, when I, when I had a when I had a guy that overdosed, came back, and then left again this morning, and I I found out that he's in a hotel doing what he does. It's just like, you know what, man, I. Uh, it's not like they're just going to get loaded. the The odds of him and his girlfriend dying because they he's died. Got to be at least fifty fifty. At this and it's point. just like, and you you can't help but develop feelings, right? So you get a little bit. I get just a little bit. I try to maintain a professional space, you know, friendly, not friends. But every once in a while, some of them sneak in just a little bit more than the others. Yeah, I know that. And, and it seems like the ones that are the most hopeless and the most helpless are the ones I like the most. They're me. They're you. They're Mike, right? They're the ones where you go, right. man, you can fuck it. We got this. All we got to do is round this corner and then we'll do just deal with what we got to deal with today. And then they go, I can't do this anymore. I got to go. And right. you and it, it's instead of I don't hear I they ACA'd. What I hear is they chose to gamble, man. Because it's not, it's not the same. Well, it is. By gambling, a, you mean using again. It, yeah. it, the gambling with whether they're going to live through the weekend. Right. right. It really is right, that right. crazy. So here's what I, I came up with an idea, Chuck. And I ran it past a friend of mine. And she's up for it. And um, so, so here's the thing. I noticed about a third of the not a third, let's be fair. Like somewhere between 20 and 30% of the people that I'm dealing with are on suboxone maintenance, right? Right. 
And the 12 step community doesn't wholly embrace them. The rehab community True. now wants to get them off of it for some reason. I think because the insurance, you can get covered on your insurance. I see more and more, you know, like five years ago when kids would come in on 12 milligrams, we would, we would like, you know, and they were resistant and they'd been to 10 rehabs or whatever. It would be kind of like, well, maybe you should stay on it. Maybe reduce to eight and let's just keep them on it, right? That right. was kind of the attitude five years ago. That let's not rock the boat too much with fentanyl on the rise, the drug overdose, and these kids right. going in and out of rehab. Maybe better than a, dying. Maybe right. eight, better than dying. Better than going in and out, right? Yeah. So yep. that's been replaced this during COVID to these people need to detox. And it's coming from the doctors for some reason, yeah. right? Yes. Yeah. And, and I don't know why that is other than they can bill for it. You can bill for detox, right? I right. would think. Why are they encouraging detox when five years ago they weren't? Why do they want people off Suboxone? Have you noticed that? I, I've noticed that they're, they're not even giving detox, but what the big push is, is the sublocade or the Vivitrol injections. Yeah, but you have to be drug-free to take it, right? No. You, as a matter of fact, for the, the sublocade, I think you have to be at like eight milligrams. Okay, so there's something, something there. There's something, right. no, but... But there's also something about Suboxone and, and Subutex also, and which Vivitrol works with. I had a kid tell me Vivitrol is the greatest antidepressant he's ever had, and he's been labeled a psych patient since he was eight years old. So there's something to it. But so I'm thinking, wouldn't it be cool to just have a clinic, like a, basically like what Wavelengths is, but everybody just comes and hangs out and gets their Suboxone. It's not a big deal. And we don't. We're not all focused on ha having a million employees and and running a bunch of groups and just more like a clubhouse, like like a method, like a cool methadone clinic, right? Hmm. Pizarro is this methadone clinic me and Mike used to go to. I used to love it. The people were nice to me there. They didn't preach. They'd say, "Good morning, Bob. How are you? Did you find a place to stay and stuff like that?" They were just nice people. Do you remember yeah. that, Mike? Yeah, at Pizarro? yeah, they were. They were really nice and they weren't judgmental at all. And they weren't trying to get me to stop smoking crack or call my mom or this or, or get a job. They were just really nice to me. And, and I always tell this story. There was these, this lesbian couple that, that would come in every morning. And I was just, I was just kind of mesmerized by them. They were like cool together. <laughs> they were like a cool together couple and they wore suits and they just looked so, the one girl that was more butchered wore a suit and she just looked so cool. And it was like, it was just like, I, and they would, and they had TVs, remember Mike in the lobby and I, and right. Yeah. I'd get there like at 8am and I love Lucy was on and I would just get my dose and sit in the lobby and watch. I love Lucy and, and wait for the gay couple to come so I could talk to them and hang out and whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it, was, yeah. it was way better than rehab. Yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you. It was so, I, I think I went there with Mike one time. He brought his dog with him. They didn't even, they didn't give you a guilt trip whatsoever. They man. did they not like, give you a guilt trip, Chuck. And look at it. They didn't treat us like we were stupid. We knew because we knew what we were doing wasn't the greatest thing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> how like about they this? Weren't ever I, like how that. about this? How about this? Usually back then, this is in the 
mid nineties, they would, they wouldn't want to go much over like 60 back then. So I was, I was, um, you know, I was still using, and then when they would test me, I'd test dirty and they'd consult me and say, Robert, do you want us to raise your dose? And I'd be like, no, 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 because I was smart enough to know about, I was on 45, I think. I didn't want to go up to 60 because I knew that I wanted to get off it eventually. And 60 was going to be harder than 45 in my mind, right? Mm -hmm. and, and they were so cool about it. They just were so matter of fact, hey, Robert, this doesn't, this is what the woman said, that, that nurse, Mike, the, the blonde-haired nurse or brown-haired nurse. She said, Robert, this doesn't seem to be holding you. And we don't want you to be... Um, freaking out or uncomfortable or you know we, we we're here to help so do you want to raise your dose and i was like no i don't want to it's okay and they were like okay but and then the consult was over it took like 15 minutes and then after at the end she just said well if you change your mind just tell me i'll see you tomorrow it was just so nice so here's what i want to do chuck i want to create a place <laughs> like that where kids get their suboxone yeah Right. Oh, okay. Um. And you and you count, and we have counseling sessions because, believe it or not, you have to have a counseling session, Chuck, to get Suboxone. You're supposed to. Certain providers ask for it. But can't they just go get Suboxone in a doctor's office and then walk? No, out? we're going to replace the doctor's offices. Oh. We're going to replace that. Well, Who okay, would they so rather come to, Bob and Chuck? Than or a fucking doctor. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, okay, so who's the doctor that's writing the scripts and in control? Oh, I, of got, I got a ton of them. I got a ton of them. <laughs> oh. I got a ton of them. I don't want to say. You know what's? The, I, I always. I think I've said it on the podcast before, and it, it hits me and Jared mostly because we're the ones that talk the most about the medical component. Like, literally. Jared has like a high school diploma and I have two years of college and doctors work for us. <laughs> <laughs> if that doesn't tell you something is wrong with healthcare, <laughs> with, with healthcare in America, with rehab in particular, like uh, two guys with high school diplomas and doctors work for us. What the fuck is wrong with that picture? Okay. okay Mike, so do you, get, do you, do you uh, and Mike has known me since 1983. Mike, doctors work for me. Can you think about that? <laughs> well, you know, I'm used to you being sober for many years. But that's so. insane. But regardless of whether I'm the greatest, most knowledgeable high school graduate in the world, no doctors should report to people like me. <laughs> yeah. you've accomplished quite a bit and there's just a lot there's just a lot of stuff like you you'll tell me something and i'll be like you're kidding you do that too you know you know why <laughs> there's another i figured out why too you know what doc doctors don't mind that their license is on the liability of a rehab center but they really don't like their personal liability that owning a rehab opens them up to like ah. the, do you know what i'm saying so when, when we get sued, all of us get sued. The, the owners get sued. The business gets sued. Um, sometimes the doctor gets sued. But, but you can't somehow them owning their own rehab, like, it, it, like you know, Chuck, there's not that many doctors that own their own rehab. There's some sort of liability risk that they don't like. Do you understand? 
oh, yeah. that people like me and Warren and Jared and Evan are willing to take. You know what I mean? It's a like big Tim, one. Like Tim's willing to roll with that shit for yeah. 40 years. Yeah, and watched it change. You know, so, so what is the, so it's an, so what is it? What do you, they, you hold on to the Suboxone and then it's an observed self-administered thing. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Don't you think people would sign up for that? Parents would sign up for it. I think. Then they, they come down and hang out. We got a couple guitars hanging out. Yeah, yeah, Whatever's yeah. going on. It'd just be a place to kick it. And, and, and they could talk about heavier stuff if they wanted to. Right. Exactly that. And we could distribute Narcan there. And build their insurance. Every drug addict in America has the right to have two Narcan um, nose sprays. They just don't know how to access the benefits to do it. And nobody cares because it's like, you know, it's like $40 or something. Nobody, everybody wants to go for the detox rate. I think a lot of parents would sign up for this. We would say, yeah, we're going to be open Monday through Friday, you know, 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. And Saturday is like 10 to 1. And on Sundays, they can have their dose, take their home, take their Suboxone home for Sunday on Saturday so that they only really could sell trade or whatever one dose a week. Okay. Yeah. It, that's, that is a totally different concept that I can't really get my head around, but I like the feel of it. I think, I think it could be really cool. I'm just think, wondering what's what's the you know like could you get courts to assign people to you like okay instead just, of going I to jail I just thought of it go- yesterday so <laughs> <laughs> oh you're not that deep into it yeah I haven't really figured out you haven't the gotten to Sacramento with it yet but it really <laughs> so was great because that you're just Mike, getting out Mike, there with it Mike and I were t- Mike was talking about methadone clinic yesterday and 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 I said Pizarro the reason why it's called P it was P I Z wasn't it Mike the reason why it was called Pizarro Clinic is because it was on Pizarro Street in Echo Park. Yeah. And it was just, and when Mike said that word yesterday, I was like, I love that place. And I immediately thought of waiting for those two girls to come and the girl in her cool suit. Yeah. I, can't, I can't describe how cool these girls were. And they, they were just so friendly. And so it was a different era. The other thing, maybe I'm longing for the different era where everybody's cool to each other. Maybe that's what is a part of this Pizarro, you know, fantasy that I want to recreate. People were just so friendly. They didn't ask who I voted for. They didn't ask what I thought of transgender bathrooms. They just were like, hey, and I Love Lucy was on and we'd laugh together. And then they'd say, are you going to go see the Chili Peppers at Sports Arena? And I was like, probably. But if they give me tickets, I'll probably sell them to get cracked. So probably, maybe. (laughs) 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 Just so right. Back in a simpler time, Chuck. A simpler time. The Pizarro Treatment Center is still there. It's still on Pizarro Street? Oh, my God. I wonder if those girls are... I wonder if those girls are still there. (laughs) I don't know. It's it's been a couple decades. (laughs) So let me tell you this. I hope they're free from the bondage of self. So uh, a hangout, a sort of public living room where maybe there's coffee available, people hang out and talk, people, uh, that, that, a Cracker Barrel type of feeling where it is just friendly, <laughs> where it's just, hey, how you doing? Does Mike, does Mike know what that referral is, the reference is? Do you know about this, Chuck? <laughs> yeah. I mean, no. Mike? Cracker Barrel, Cracker Barrel across the nation is allowing homeless people to sleep in their parking lots every night. Is that amazing? 
That is That's, fucking amazing. They've had a pretty open door policy. You can hang out all you want since I can remember, you know, they are, but they people are, are parking their campers and cars to sleep safely in the parking lots of Cracker Barrels. I just think fantastic. that's awesome. So you know that my kids had never been to a Cracker Barrel and I just went to New Mexico and I put it on our stop. I actually found the Cracker Barrel that I wanted to take them to and took them there and they loved it. They were like country store I got restaurant. Terrible. Awesome. I, I got terrible food. Well, I don't know. We always use the term food poisoning. I don't know that that's what it is. I just got really bad stomach problems and diarrhea for like two days after a Cracker Barrel. You know the thing that comes in the it's a big loaf of bread, and then the soup comes in the loaf of bread. Yeah, it's called a bread bowl. Yep. Yeah, that's not, that doesn't go well with Bobby's metabolism and tummy. I don't think. Okay, but I don't think I, I, I don't think I was poisoned. I just think I don't fit well with that type of food, whatever. It was. Do, do so? Do these people? Would they be private pay? Well, I think you build the insurance, right? Well, I, I guess for the, for the Suboxone, you would, but for... And the, visit, and the visit. I'm not trying to get rich. I'm just trying to make a difference. So the idea is, a, a friend of mine has three Suboxone clinics in LA, and he was telling me, he's a doctor, by the way, and, um, and he told me he bills 250, you have to see a doctor once a month. So he, and he bills 250 cash, and they have to pay 250 cash to him, and then he bills their insurance and gets like another 130 or something. So he roughs it, you know, rounds it off to $400 per purse per client. And he has 200 clients per clinic and he has three clinics. So let me, I am on my phone, but do you have a, a calculator, Mike? What is 400 <laughs> times 600 equal? Well, that's all. That's all. No, it'd be, it'd be 24,000, right? No, it might be 240,000. 600 it, it clients, 600 it's, clients pay $400. Yes, it is. It is because that's, that's, that's four a zeros. lot of, that's a lot of money and it's not money to the client and it's not money to the insurance company and it could do an incredible amount of good. Yeah. Look at Chuck is just going, wait a minute. Is that math? Right. <laughs> yeah. Now, <laughs> now given, I'm not talking about turning it into a cookie cut factory like where there's 50 clients a day going through and seeing the doctor i'm talking about you know 50 60 however many it seems like it would make sense and i would like to do it in the belly of the beast which is orange county costa mesa right <laughs> in the belly of the beast why, why do you laugh why? <laughs> i just laugh because you call orange county and in the belly of the beast. <laughs> no, the belly of the beast. Well, no, he, you're not. You're not. You're not in this bracket. What is that street where there's like nine rehabs on it, Chuck? That goes by Hogue Hospital. Nineteenth. Uh, no, the fifty. 19th. The fifty-five freeway. The fifty. The, the fifty-five is fifty-five ends there. Yeah. The fifty-seven the ends there. What's the name of there. that street? What's the name of that street? It ends on Newport Boulevard. Yeah, Newport Boulevard. So, Mike, there are nine rehabs on Newport Boulevard from where the Costa Mesa Fairgrounds is to yeah. PCH. There are nine rehabs there. Yeah. Seven of them of which are fraudulent. <laughs> so, right. much so, what I'm so much so that the city of Costa Mesa opened up its own rehab fraud task force. Good. To go <laughs> Thank well, God. They, what, I, what I'm they, saying you didn't is know that, that the belly... Chuck? 
is they, that no. the belly of the beast would probably be like Temecula or or Victorville or you know, some, <laughs> no. you know that that no. would really be the belly of the beast because you're Osta talking Mesa about a little bit of, you're talking about zero. a little bit of privilege and a little bit of you know money in uh, Huntington Beach and Costa Mesa. No, so these people would have they would have to uh, have their own housing and they'd have to have their own place to be. That gets rid of so much of the headache. I mean, how many people actually run true IOPs where they don't live at their sober livings? None. Where zero, people just come zero. in off the street. That number and that, would be zero. And, and and that's unfortunately that model used to work. When if you know if you went into it an inpatient, you detoxed, you did a little bit of RTC, and then you got you, you had to go back. You had to have a place to live. Well, you know, we did. I ran. I told you my first big job at Los Encinas was running the evening outpatient. There was no such thing as day treatment outpatient. No such thing. You, <laughs> there you go. You know, you did treatment for 90 days and then you went home or you went to sober living. And before you left the rehab, you had a job lined up where you were either returning back to your old job after having a, a medical leave or you were getting a job, right? Yeah. right. See, and then, I, thought it, I thought it was still that. I no, I it it's good. like people get to sit around and play video games and smoke weed. That's what it is now. <laughs> right. And that's why, that's why you need a task force because you can't, <laughs> you can't claim you're running a treatment center if you're okaying that stuff. You know, that's funny because I, I got an IG text from somebody. I guess you already released the other one, Mike. Because this guy was going, man, I, I went into an AA meeting and I smelled like weed and they bummed out on me, but I don't want to be on Suboxone. And I go, well, yeah, you you know, that AA is an abstinence-based program. That, you, you know what I say to kids like that? You are so fucking smart. And because that kid is, he has zeroed in on the hypocrisy of the, of the rehab center world. He, is, he has gotten, and hundreds of kids have presented it to me that way. And I always say, much respect, much respect. If I was 22 years old right now, this is the point I would be arguing. Because what's the, it, Suboxone is way more addictive, way more corrosive and destructive, harder to detox off of. And if, I, and if they argue that I, I should be on Suboxone, most doctors would recommend that I'm on Suboxone, but I'm just smoking weed. So what's the big deal? It's such a great argument. I love the kids that make that argument because it, the recovery industry has to fucking face that in a truthful way. Answer that question. Yeah, I, you know it, why? You know why? Because big pharma doesn't make money off weed. As soon as, <laughs> as, yeah. soon as they control the crops and they stop growing tobacco and start growing weed and they can sell it out of the pharmacy, it'll be the wonder drug. As soon as you have to go to your pharmacy to get whatever, a, a gram or two of weed or get it rolled up in joints already, however they measure it out and say, this is X amount and you should smoke half a joint in the morning and half a joint at night. And you have to go through your doctor first and then it's got to get stamped by the FDA. They'll, they'll be all over it. Unfortunately, oh, no, no, it's got to be in a pill form. It's got to be. It in might a pill. be. It might. It probably will be. They already did form. that with Marinol. That's what I was. That's what is it called? Marinol? Marinol? Yeah. Yeah, Marinol has yeah. been around forever, but it's just not effective because it's too heavy. It's too heavy. Yeah, it's too much. I knew guys that I knew a guy. Too heavy. Used, Wait a minute. Too heavy for kids whose drug of choice are is fentanyl. It's too well, heavy for them. Yeah. <laughs> well, the guy I knew that that was 
prescribed the Marinol and I, it's the first time I'd ever seen one. It looked like a vitamin E tablet where it had like a gel liquid inside it and it was kind of mushy. Oh, and weird. he, he said, you can't cut it in half because it's this mushy gel thing. And he goes, when I take one, he goes, all I want to do is sit around and he drives a limo for a living. And he goes, I can't drive on that. And so I, I would. <laughs> wait, wait, a, wait a minute though. So so we are supposed to fight these impulses. I have that impulse too. All I want to do is sit around and watch Perry Mason and like drink club soda and chew nicotine gum and text on the phone. But that's not adulthood. So I have to get out and go bring my kids to school and go to the fucking drugstore and get, you know, get the, this Christmas stuff that Sydney wanted. And I have to go. Yesterday was a hellacious day. I had to go. Um, I had a bunch of work in the morning. Then I had to run and get Elvis early from school. I went and got Sid from her school, went and got Elvis early from school so we could take both of them to go get their second COVID shots, right? Then I come home and I got more stuff that piled up. Then I got to make dinner. Then we got to eat. Then I got to do something else. It's just, you don't, you don't allow yourself, the potheads allow themselves too much, it, it, like lie, like, they place too much emphasis on the pot making them inactive when it's their own will and decision making. Right. I -hmm. wanted to lay in bed. I, you know, I wanted to lay on the couch and play plants versus zombies with Sid, but that's not what adults do. You get up, (laughs) you take a shower. You know what I mean? Well, don't you think that that's a primary, that's the primary, uh, I don't know, side effect of the marijuana is lethargy. As long as we keep allowing them to sit around and do nothing because they smoke pot, they're probably going to sit around and do nothing. Yeah. you know. But I know I, a lot of potheads that get out and do a lot of shit. Oh, so do I. Yeah. That you wouldn't know they were potheads because they're, they're freshly showered. They're put together. They're well-groomed. They dress right. They have jobs. They're homeowners. And they they go about their life. Well, so how come they don't use the excuse that, oh, I'm on stone. I just want to lay around. (laughs) Everybody, every drug addict. I mean, I'm a true drug addict. If you give me a choice between doing something fun, like I was supposed to go see Kanye West tonight. And then it it was soon as I saw rain this morning, I was like, fuck it. I don't have to go to Kanye West. So awesome. So excited I don't have to go anywhere. Why not? I just thought of something that you could allow them to smoke weed at the clinic. I'm sure they will. I'm not going to let them smoke it in the clinic, but they can certainly. Well, you know, it's smell. It's it's rude. Here's the thing. Put a bunch of beanbag chairs and couches that are low on the ground. No, you you don't allow smoking of cigarettes because it stinks. I don't you know, I don't care about the secondhand smoke. It's so stupid. I'm telling you, you don't allow smoking in a building. You're not going to allow pot in the building. But let, that's a good Chuck, way to get shut Chuck, down. Yeah. This whole thing of secondhand smoke, oh, secondhand smoke. You're driving on the fucking freeway every day. You're eating exhaust <laughs> out of a hundred automobiles. <laughs> Are you fucking that. kidding me? That whole thing of like the commercial where the smoke goes out the balcony and up and into the baby's nostrils. Go on the fucking 210 freeway. It goes like it goes like uh, p- pies go to Yogi Bear's nose. It's <laughs> 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 not, not the way it works. That was some <laughs> bullshit propaganda. Smell a picnic basket. I'm boo boo. <laughs> right? And so that secondhand smoke, 
And so then I asked this this scientist guy, actually Mike Murphy. Mike, you know Mike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mike Murphy is this. Uh, how do you explain him? Let's let's explain it in like two minutes. Chuck, Mike Murphy was one of the most interesting, crazy, kooky friends of me and Mike's. He is a nuclear physicist. <laughs> right. He's a nuclear physicist, a dope addict. And now he's a Catholic. Now he's a Catholic priest. He's a former. He, he's okay with that. Former. Yeah. Right? And, that, and he's a, now he's a Catholic priest. But anyway. Now he's a Catholic priest. So, so Chuck, did you just take in all three of those facts? Uh, yeah, they don't really fit. <laughs> it sounds like a Quentin Tarantino movie. <laughs> he, he, he is. This guy is a character out of a Quentin Tarantino movie. He literally is. And so the biggest Bob Dylan fan you'll ever meet, the biggest big star you'll uh, fan. Biggest Cramps fan, biggest music fan, really. Anyways, greatest guy. He was the one who helped me on my first day of sobriety. If I didn't have him in my life, I I don't I wouldn't have had uh, I wouldn't have achieved my first day of sobriety. Anyways, so Mike Murphy is a scientist. And when that commercial came out, I was like, Mike, because I would ask him scientific questions. And I said, Mike, and he was at my house often for days on end. So you can put that second part that Mike Marr put in there. So I said, Mike, what, what is this true, the secondhand smoke? And he said, well, kind of, but, you know, I wouldn't worry about it. And I was like, okay. He goes, you know, when you're driving at your car, that's when you're inhaling all kinds of poisons and lead and, and I never forgot that we were like on a very soft spoken. And he was too. like, He's when you're driving your car, all he said was you're, you're inhaling all sorts of poisons and leads. Like there's more than one lead, Chuck. There's more than <laughs> one kind of lead. Multiple leads. <laughs> <laughs> and so then, then every time I saw the commercial, I thought you're driving down the freeway. You're sucking on lead. You fucking morons. Why do you care about this shit? <laughs> right. Well. Well, they should have a baby in a car seat asleep, and then and then the mom is driving the Hummer down the freeway, and they stop in traffic, and they show all the exhaust pipes, and then show the exhaust going into the car's vents and into the baby's mouth. Right, secondhand it, driving. They shouldn't, they shouldn't, they shouldn't do it. Just because so, you're not driving doesn't mean you're not being exposed. So, anyways, you can't you can't let people smoke pot in the clinic, but you can certainly not discourage it. Right. Um, and if, it, but I love people that make that argument, Suboxone or pot. And it is such a great argument to have. But, th- but then at that point, we'd be, you'd be having both. Yeah. But and, is that some sort of harm reduction, though? Pot well, no, Suboxone. these people, the pot people, like my friend Joe is like, I got a pot rehab or something. He says you can detox people off of opiates with marijuana. I don't know mm. fucking how. I, I used to do talk about heroin with speed. Well, <laughs> yeah, that, well, that that does work, by the way. <laughs> well, yeah, because you're going to sleep eventually. <laughs> you know, if I was really crazy, I'd start a speed uh, clinic to get off of opiates. But um, but no, I think that just community, anything that builds community, because really, what creates the chaos in in all the rehabs is this kind of we have to do all this boring shit in order to get paid by the insurance company in order for the kids to be there and then by virtue that they've heard everything you've said ten thousand times because they've been in rehab for five years that they leave 
the actual treatment makes them leave, right? Mm-hmm. Because they've heard it a thousand times. Right. And we can't really, you know, when we started Aloe, it was called Acadia, by the way. Then Acadia Healthcare gave us a cease and desist. And I said, fuck it, we'll fight it. And then some lawyer said, it'll cost you 400 grand and you'll lose anyways. And I was like, okay, then we won't fight it. <laughs> Best decision you've ever made. I know. But we had, a, we had this one house. It was only one house called the Yellow House. It was on PCH. And we had a, a walkway, like you could walk down to the beach, right? And so when, when I could feel that, and I ran all of the groups, the process group. So I ran three groups a day. And when I could feel the kids were burnt out and they'd heard my shtick, you know, too much, I'd say, let's go to the beach. And I would just get them all and we'd walk down to the beach and I'd just sit there and they'd go in the water and they'd, you know, have fun and, you know, run around, smoke cigarettes and whatever. And, and it was really powerful how you could take a group of like six or eight addicts who two of them are about to leave because they've got treatment burnout. Right. Mm -hmm. And they're going to, they're going to, you know, bring down the milieu of the other six and you just take all eight of them to the beach and by three in the afternoon, everybody's joking around and we're back on track. The insurance industry doesn't allow that. Mm-hmm. They don't allow that. They don't trust the professionals. I know why they don't trust the professionals because the professionals are fraudsters and scumbags. I understand that. But if you could look to, they have no rating system or who are the good actors, right? The insurance industry is only focused on who the bad actors are. Then they label everyone bad actors. Why don't you start labeling good actors who have never defrauded anybody? I've never defrauded anybody, never been accused of it, never peed defrauding, nothing. In 20 years of operating, why shouldn't you trust me what's the right thing to do with drug addicts? Because there's a million fucking scumbags? I've never been accused or, or you've ever suspected anything you've never seen any irregularities in any of my billing ever in history for rehabs yet i have to be punished because of all the fraudsters Mm -hmm. right right and then it makes treatment so repulsively boring and that's in our book me and evan's book repulsively Repulsively boring boring. (laughs) that the kids go and die from fentanyl and it's and I I can see a string tied to the fraudsters because 100%. ten years ago I could do whatever the fuck I wanted. People trusted it, and you bill and whatever, and you get six hundred bucks or who cares. But now every minute detail. Where were they at ten twenty one and ten twenty two a.m.? Could you document that? Could you document where they were, what they were doing, what yeah. their affect was, what their mood state was? Like it's, it's insidious and it's why the me- treatment is so mediocre and so repetitive and so cookie cut. It's because of the insurance companies. And then that's why the kids leave. So I want to create a place the kids want to come to come and hang out. We'll watch. I love Lucy and wait for the lesbians. It's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I think you've just named the place. Let's watch. I love Lucy and wait for the lesbians. I think. That's well, now that's name. the tagline. We got to come up with a real name for it. <laughs> you know, I have a feeling the reason the rehab industry says not being sober is bad is because they, they can't bill if you're loaded. 
Right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and some have been, and that's why we're in the state we're in. (laughs) So anyway, I wanted to plant that seed with you, Chuck, and think about it. I'm not talking about doing it like next week. I'm talking about eventually this could be a really fun thing to do. I I just think we got to bring fun back to rehab. It's all such a drag, man. Such a drag. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it sure can be. You know, the, the, the lengths you have to go to to make something interesting, inclusive, keep people from being bored and have it not be. I mean, that's my goal is to not have groups that talk about drugs at all, which it seems like it's anti-rehab, but it's more about being future focused and what are we going to do? And what did you do that was fun today? What do you, you know, just, it's not talking about drugs at all. I'm just not a very good drug counselor anymore because when, when, because I always had these go-to moves where I'd say, well, what do you want to do with your life? And every person I ever asked that of till like 2017 had an immediate answer. Like, you know, I want to, I, you know, I want to, um, you know, get an apartment, move in with my girl, get a job, like take care of myself. Um, I want to get a car. There was always these practical goals that all drug addicts I came across had. And then Mm -hmm. I swear to God about, I don't know, four, five, six years ago, they just started saying, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. And that seems to be an answer that's been accepted in other places. Cause when I get, I get that, I go, well, then who does, who, who should I check with? Who knows what you want to do? Because usually, usually it's just a matter of. Um, Did they tell you to call their moms to figure it out? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know how that usually goes. But right. it, <laughs> my kid's smart. My kid's success. My uh, kid's they talk be- about what they were like when they were 16 and they were so popular and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, like, but, you know, so how, how do you do that? I guess the way since we've been pushing. And, you know what? And it, I want to stop right there about the moms that don't, because they don't even really know their kids. I've dealt with so many moms and dads that they don't know the good qualities of their kid. They keep talking about some superficial thing. Like they had, they, you know, he was a straight A student when he was in high school. Like that's not, like, that's not relevant. That's not, that important. doesn't mean he was happy. It doesn't mean he was kind or compassionate right. or anything. And, and so, but they just seem to cling on to these superficial things, right? Instead Mm -hmm. of like, and I, I look at your sons that have had problems, my son that's had problems. They're wonderful kids, man. They're really good kids. You know, they may not be wonderful to us all the time. (laughs) (laughs) It's heartbreaking. Yeah. But there's reasons for that. right? Right. I mean, when your son was with me, he's just the most helpful He's the most helpful person that ever lived there, right? Elijah now is helping out this rehab, this rehab center I have, and he's just a wonderful, kind kid, right? But there's too much focus on the superficiality of things with moms and dads of drug addicts. Really, like, what kind of person are they? And when you see that their, their sociopathy is, like, not very flattering not very wonderful they go back in time to when they were wonderful superficially right because you know this this fuck you attitude they have towards their parents like i just don't get it my son never like when he acted that way i just hang up on him like 
fuck you. I, okay, we're done. And I would just hang out. <laughs> like, and I would be, go back to watching House or something. I don't, you know, what do you want me to do? Drug-headed <laughs> <laughs> doctor. Yep. <laughs> I love that show. I fucking love that Hugh show. Hugh Laurie did the best American accent of any foreigner. But anyway. So anyways, the they we need to help the parents realistically see the good qualities in their children and the liabilities and the real negatives. And what they do is when you, when you only point out the negative or they only look at the negative, then they immediately jump into fantasy land from 10 years ago. Oh, he was, mm-hmm. he played soccer. He was an AYSO. I was like, the fuck has that got to do with anything right now? He just told you to fuck off. He's addicted to fentanyl and he's been to 10 rehabs in the last year. What the fuck does AYSO have to do with it? <laughs> well, that's you know when everybody I mean? was happy. That was, <laughs> those, are, those are what I call the ostrich years. <laughs> They're head in the sand and everything was cool. You know, the, um, I, just, I just had a kid that was like that too, where he got a job and then the job was too much because he's programming. He's going to a 6 a.m. Uh, AA meeting and then he's programming until 1230 and then he's working from 2 to 11 at night and then getting home at midnight. And he's feeling overwhelmed and he goes, I, I'm not going to be able to get the kind of hours I want. And he talks to his dad and his dad was just like, well, what kind of reference are they going to give you? And I, you know, well, oh you can't God, do that. And oh I, I, I talked to the kid afterwards. I go, you don't include them on your next resume. That's what kind of reference they're going to give you. worked there for fucking two months. Who don't cares? worry about it. Uh, the fact that the kid was able to um, advocate for himself and say, I'm losing it. I'm doing way too much. My day starts at 5 a.m. and ends at midnight. And it's only 60 days or, you know, however many days in. And it's just, what have we done? He was able to find a job. He went and filled out an application, presented his resume, went to an interview and got placed somewhere. And that was something he didn't know he could do. So there's the growth. And there's the kid that I see with a little bit of self-esteem. And we've accomplished something. He's not well, I would there. immediately go like, does he really need to sit in all those boring meetings all morning? The only reason he's sitting in there is so he can have housing, right? True. That's true. the truth. So, that's and, the weak and, link. And that's where we're all guilty of. 100%. But that's also how, you know, in another 30 days, he doesn't have to be, but he's going to need some money to be able well, to get no, housing. If, if, no, but if, if we really cared as rehab centers and, 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 um, um, I'm not saying we don't, but if it if it costs us a little money, every rehab, every IOP should have to offer offer evening outpatient. Also, they just it should be mandatory. You can't just only like have them living in your houses and billing their insurance and not give them a pathway to freedom, right? An evening outpatient, for the most part, I think 76 percent of workers work, you know, during the day, right? Mm-hmm. So. So you should offer an evening outpatient. And I, that's what I have at Pico and Robertson. It's, it's six, seven, eight o'clock group. See, that's, that fits with what makes sense, right? Uh, the idea well, it makes that- sense to have day treatment too, because they're really, the, the treatment's not long enough, right? So treatment's not long enough. So you need to have them in day treatment and kind of act like it's rehab, right? But then at a certain point, when you're at the 60-day point, you should be able to get a day job and transition to evening outpatient. There you go. Like That's Literally, right. evening outpatient doesn't cost that much. Remember that one you and me ran at Tim Chapman's? Didn't cost that much to run, right. you know, like two guys. I ran groups, you ran groups. It wasn't that hard. 
How no. fucking hard, how much how much does that cost? I know you've already got the building. You've already got the brick and mortar in place. You've already got everything else in place. It doesn't did cost you, that much. Did you run the other two days when I wasn't there? I did. I did mostly day stuff. I did some evenings, but, remember, but not a lot. Remember, I did one day a week, and it was yeah, a I think- day a week evening outpatient, and, and I think I made 150 bucks a, a night. So that's like, that's like that means there's only if the another person runs three groups on Monday and Friday, it's only 450 more dollars. It's like 600 dollars right. to run an evening outpatient. Like it's not that hard. Why right. do no treatment centers offer it? They don't. That's why I did it. Paul, my friend, convinced me, like, we should do evenings because there's no competition. And I was like, there's got to be some competition. And he showed me, like, there's literally nothing offered in evenings. Mm-hmm. You know what, who used to do it in Orange County? Pillars used to do it. Mm. Right? And, and they're, they're more South County, right? So they're, 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 no, they're right on Newport Boulevard, right? They're by they? Oak. Yeah, Pillars. Yeah, I, I, w- I never went to the property. I think that I don't think they're around anymore. They had they had rehab, two rehab houses and then and then um, outpatient on on right by that Vietnamese restaurant because I would go there and run groups and then go eat at that Vietnamese place. So good. <laughs> so so listen to this. I get this text message from Kira Baruth, who the great film director of Bob and the Monster, and she says a really weird thing has happened. And I was like, what? And she goes, Amazon Prime contacted me to tell me that we're in the top five documentaries. And I said, what, what, what documentary? And she's like, our documentary. So Bob and the Monster, 10 years after its release, is now... Is <laughs> the now, sleeper sensation. Uh, yeah, it's, a sleeper, it's now a hit on Amazon Prime. And get this. 1,400 people a day download it. Watch it. 1,000. And I, I did the math. That's like 42,000 people a month. And this has been going on for like six months. That's a quarter million people have watched that documentary in the last six months. That nice. is crazy. That's cool. So I yeah. plan to build. And, and, and here's the thing I started realizing, cause I called Evan, I go, are we getting more phone calls? And they said, yeah. And I called Bob and are we getting more phone calls? And Bob who really answers the phone at Ella said, yeah, there's a lot of people calling to say, fuck you to Bob. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> uh, why is that? Uh, they, what? And they're like, cause it's, I really go hard against Suboxone in the documentary. It was 10 years ago. I've evolved. I think differently. I don't think that way anymore. Well, they just call up and say "fuck Bob" and hang up, or something. Yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> they say they say is Bob there, and they say, "Well, no, he's not." But can, you know, uh, is there a way I can help you? And he goes, "No." This the, the people say, "No, just tell him go fuck himself." Boxone saved my life. It does save lives. It really it does. does. But I didn't know that night in two thousand nine. No, I know. I didn't then. know that. Yeah, right. You. I know. So, so Chuck, if you follow my logic, this is my way of correcting a wrong to show the public, like, no, 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 I got a Suboxone clinic now. <laughs> fentanyl didn't rear its ugly head. Fentanyl did later. not exist in two thousand nine. No. Right. Mike, Mike, look up. You got your computer. Look up. Overdose death rates 2009, because yeah. that's when I made that statement. You know, that's and you know what? That's a good example of 
you know, this afternoon science disproves this morning's theory. You know, the idea that we can evolve based on new information. Yeah, but somebody that watches the documentary is not going to know that I've evolved. How are they going to know? They just watch a documentary where I go, Suboxone is bullshit. You shouldn't be on it. There should be a disclaimer at the beginning. Some of Bob's opinions have evolved. <laughs> the Bob, the well, Bob we've is- had to adapt. So I'll bet, Chuck, let's do an over-under. I bet you it's under 30,000 in 2009. You want to do an over-under on how many people died? Uh, you take yeah. the over? You take the over 30,000? If you're going to take the under, I'll take the over just to make okay. it interesting. <laughs> how many? How many is it? We is always te- how many people died in 2009, Mike? It was, uh, I bet it's, you it's not it's, even 30,000. No, it says U.S. opioid deaths doubled since 2009 Op- opioid overdoses in 2010 this is like was 21,000 21,000 baby under under yeah, and then 2018 2018 was 46,800 and then oh in 2019 God. was 49,000 so it, that's just it, it, the first thing that pops up so the, the one that got reported a couple of weeks ago, that's an overall total of meth, uh, heroin, fentanyl, everything, right? Yeah, this is a lot just of people. A lot of people die. A lot of people die of cocaine. You know that? I didn't know that. How can you die of cocaine? You shoot up a bunch of it and you blow up your blood vessels and stuff, man. Something happens in your brain. Your brain pops like a like a ripe tomato. And then Heart there's failure. you know you know the opiate overdose death rate isn't um uh the the uh, mixture mixture is another category so when people die of a benzo heroin overdose that's in a new category polysubstance category right right but right, because my all-time opioid. hero i you know we have to uh, until there's a, a, another champion is uh, takes the crown graham parsons are you ready huh. for graham parsons toxicology report Morphine, cocaine, methamphetamine, alcohol, marijuana, barbiturates, benzodiazepine. How many more? Is there another drug you can Woo! take? That is the grand champion. It's pretty dang good. I mean, Michael Jackson's nothing compared to that. Yeah, but Michael was a purist. Michael was a, <laughs> preg- he was a purist. What, what did he die of? Pregnazone? What did he die of? I thought it was propofol. Propofol, yeah. What's pregnazone? Pregnazone. For pregnant is, people? No, pregnazone. <laughs> pregnazone is a, um, it's a steroid. One of the stupidest things. I, you know, I love the stupidization of America. It just, just, we just get more and more stupid almost weekly at this point, Chuck. So I bring Elvis and Sid to get. They're COVID shots, right? And the lady hands me the form and I'm filling it out real quick. And I hand it back to her and it's Elvis's, right? And she goes, um, you didn't do the second page. I said, the second page is for adults. And she goes, you need to do the second page. And she's being kind of snappy at me, right? And you don't want to cause trouble at a COVID vaccine site because you want to get your vaccine. So I said, no, there's no reason. This is all adult questions. And she goes, the second page needs to be filled out. So I'm sitting there and Elvis is getting anxious because he hates when I get like, I'm going to go on one of my rants. So I said, (laughs) I said, I said, said, okay, I started asking the questions. 
And he's, he's looking at me like that. I don't even know what that means. And I said, I guess, no, I guess, no. And so it's all adult medical questions. The sixth question is, are you pregnant or plan to become pregnant? You're asking an 11 year old boy. <laughs> this what did he say? was so <laughs> fucking well, well, what stupid. What did he say? He goes, I, I don't, he said, I don't think I can, can I? And I was like, you can't. Yeah. And then I could yeah. see his brain going, does that mean me impregnating somebody too? Like, cause Aww. he knows what, you know, he knows how the whole thing works now. So are, are you kidding wow. me? This fucking moron woman has an 11 year old kid asked a question. Or do you plan to become, uh, are you pregnant or plan to become pregnant? When I told her this is, this is, you don't need to fill the second page out for, for minor, for, a, uh, you know, so I don't know you? what, what age you have. Yeah, I did because she wouldn't. You know, she was a bureaucrat. She was stuck in her the second page. She, needs was, me signed. she was a second. She was a b word. She was a bureaucrat. <laughs> a bureaucrat. <laughs> and so then I just I said, yeah, no, you don't plan to be pregnant, Elvis. And he, you could just see the look on his face, like, do I? What the can hell? I? Yeah. Can I become pregnant? Because he has a. You know, he has a couple of trans friends. Like, can I become pregnant? <laughs> like, want, I, yeah. maybe it's to be determined. Maybe it's a TBD. TBD. Don't say no. Don't leave the door open. Absolutely. To be determined. And I told you that on the on the new school forms that Sid filled out, it it says gender assigned at birth. How interesting is that? Hmm. What is it was that? assigned how, as if it was handed that, out. <laughs> how does that get, but how does that benefit the school districts? I can't figure it out. How do they, because if somebody decides they're not the gender assigned at birth, then what happens? Interesting. Wow. It's, it's just to get them out of the hot water of, of labeling people uh, male or female, I guess. But anyways, so that's my thing. Bob and the monsters blowing up. We need to, you know, reassure everyone that watches it that I've totally changed in my stance on Suboxone by opening a Suboxone clinic that Chuck and me and Mike just hang out and play guitars and watch I Love Lucy. How about <laughs> that for a fucking job? How about that? that would be wonderful. Just play guitars and watch I Love Lucy. We could just play the DVDs of I Love so, Lucy all so, the time. So basically, it's the same thing as what like somebody on the mount the on the marijuana pill would do. You just lay around and play guitar and <laughs> watch um, I Love Lucy. Yeah, <laughs> watch you TV, know what? Right? You know what? I'm going to make a like rule Chuck here, Chuck. No video games. We don't allow video games in the clinic. Oh, Nazi. Not even, not you even. You just lost the whole demographic, go. Bob. I, I know. <laughs> not God, even Plants vs. Zombies. Great idea. Not Plants vs. Zombies. Not Pokemon Go. No video games. No, only Plants vs. Zombies. <laughs> How about one step, one step better? No phone use allowed. No phone use. That then we'll literally have no. We'll literally have no clients whatsoever. None. None. No phones. Zero. Though. No phones means no clients. Uh. <laughs> so more more will be revealed about the suboxone clinic but i really i want you to think about it chuck and guess I'm thinking. what there's not a lot of documentation i'm figuring in just hanging out playing guitar and watching i love lucy i don't oh, think boy. you will be buried in a computer uh documenting i just really don't think you will wouldn't that you be know nice? um 
there's there's uh, a lot of uh, there's a lot of seasons of The Simpsons too, so you could have that running too. There's something about Lucy that's so great. People forget how great I Love Lucy was. Yeah. <laughs> anytime, anytime it comes on, I'm just. T- let's just rate the greatest TV shows at all times. We're we're three. The three Simpsons is the longest running series ever. Yeah, I, mean, I knew that. Cop, cops was, and then cops went off the air because something happened, and now cops is back. But they now they can never catch up with Simpsons because they were off the air for like two years. Do you remember so that- Matt Gronin used to drive that little Honda car around? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was like, it's just a, and he was still successful. He was like making a ton of money. He was rich and he was still driving that little beat up Honda car. Yeah, he's, he's a, he's an interesting guy, but let me, yeah. let me, let's go to the greatest TV shows of all time. Okay. So let's do the five greatest TV shows of all time. According to Chuck, man, the ones I've watched the most and the longest was, uh, Dick Van Dyke, when Nickelodeon brought him back, I thought he was right. hilarious. I thought that show was funny. Um, I, I haven't watched a lot of series, man. I liked... Uh, no, but I mean, I'm talking about your over your entire life, the five greatest. So I'll go because I know well, mine, and then you can think about Sanford it. and Son, so, man. I love that. Oh, my God. I forgot about Sanford and Son. Because I made the five, I make these little lists of things. I don't know why. Five greatest Bob Dylan songs, five greatest TV shows. So I Love Lucy, All in the Family, MASH. That's oh, three. That's, that, yeah, those three go. have oh, to be on Oh, you just it. took my top three. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Now I got to come up with other ones. No, yeah. And then, top, and then the top three. And then it's as crazy as it sounds, I, I, I do love Family Guy. I think Family Guy is one of the greatest shows ever. (laughs) It's ridiculous. And I I like that one. It's had like it's had like 15 or 18 seasons to a family guy. The fact that you don't even question a a talking dog, like you just accept the brain's part of the family. How about an how about an, an an intellectual English baby. <laughs> okay, Bob, what are the Who's what, homosexual? Are the, what are the last two? What are the last <laughs> no, two? No, well, I, family guy, family guy, and then and then believe it or not, I loved this, you know, the I loved Six Feet Under. I I watched Six Feet Under every time, you know, on Thursday nights or whatever night it was for five years. It was it was the greatest show ever. We're talking about lifetime though, Gilligan's Island. But um, you're three, you're three plus Gilligan's Island. Okay, and what else? And um, I would have to say um, Sanford and Son. No, you would say Andy Griffith. You love Andy oh, Griffith. Andy Griffith okay. was right, really Andy good, Griffith, too. Sanford and Son, same thing. Who cares? Andy Griffith Sanford, was funny. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You, wait, no, no, they're the not mind, the same shit. The mind of Mike Mart. The mind of Mike Mart is right is defined in that sentence. Sanford and Son, Andy Griffith, same thing. Same thing. Same, <laughs> shit. same, same shit. Same shit. <laughs> you know, see, you, from all in the family, but see, that was the that was a magic era because that was also the Jeffersons. That was there were so many good. Maud, remember Maud? Oh uh, yes, and I do. Maud. And then there's Maud. Oh, remember they, Murder She Wrote? That was a good one too. Did you guys ever watch Murder? She yeah, wrote? I watch it. Yeah. it's still on. It's and still you on. Didn't mention, Bob, you didn't mention Perry Mason. You didn't mention Kojak. Well, I don't think people like Psych. Psych. Did you ever watch Psych? 
Psych was a hilarious long running thing. I'm trying to think of ones that lasted because there's been a lot of shows that I really liked that didn't last very long. Kojak was badass, man. Who loves you, baby? Kojak was a badass. What about Beretta? What about Beretta? There you go. Beretta and Rockford Files. Rockford Files was great. There's so many. So we're going to just always have great TV shows on on many different screens. You know, like when you walk into a bar, you know, walk into a bar and there's all the sports things. There's like premier soccer and there's the football game and a golf tournament. We're going to have all the different great TV shows on in the, in the lobby of the clinic. Yeah. What about taxi? What about taxi? There you go. That, that was something else too. Yeah. Good one. You know, um, Oh God, I just lost my thought. I can't believe it. I just took it. But so old Chuck. And maybe we should just have, we'll have different days. Like Monday will be comedy day. I love Lucy, Dick Van Dyke, Mary Tyler Moore. All Tuesday the will be Perry Mason. Tuesday will be the, the mysteries and no mysteries. Perry Mason, Columbo, murder, she murder she wrote, Columbo, and then Wednesdays will be cop shows. Adam Twelve and oh, Dragnet. Yeah. Yeah. Adam Twelve yeah. and Dragnet. How can you forget Dragnet? There's so, so many great shows. So we were, a different theme each day of the week. Right. So 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 tv is going to be a major part of the clinic and and folk singing and guitars maybe we'll have a little microphone a little pa little little place of music doesn't matter if it's eight in the morning drug addicts are up all night anyways what's the difference oh geez. Yeah, what good. no that's good. be good that's good i like it i like it all right so so everybody keep thinking so of in ideas. the meantime don't take pills people don't take pills that you don't know what where they are or how they've been made don't take strange pills and die and stuff don't stay alive yeah not i heard don't of these I, uh, we, we got we got shit. another we got another do another don't die there's a new pill coming out of the middle east that has two c's on it i forget the name of it it's like a methamphetamine pill have you heard about this, Chuck? No, no. They cost a dollar a piece. How about this? A pill that is has the line down the center that you can snap in half. Then one side's amphetamines and the other side is fentanyl. And you can either take. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Take, oh, okay. Now we've gone too far. All right. <laughs> good night, you guys. This is the guy who said Sanford and Son, Andy Griffith, same, same thing. Same shit. <laughs> Don't die. Good Don't night, die, guys. you guys. Good night. Oh, All right. Good night. Bye bye. <laughs>